So I want to talk to you about what causes all this problem. We've been talking about incredible opportunities to help people out to deal with their stress, but I want to spend some time just talking about this new market of understanding what stress is and truly the dangers that stress has created. So we want to get on with, with what's going on with the neuroregulation. So what's more important? The stress response, everybody has a stress response, or the recovery from the stress response. Which do you think would be more important? The recovery is more important, and what's happening with us is we're not getting that opportunity to recover from it because it just keeps building and building. We were just talking at the back. We think about stress as such as things like chemical or emotional or maybe some physical stress, but what about the electromagnetic stress? We're talking about the Schumann response or the Schumann frequency, which used to be 7.8 hertz, is now into the 10 to 12 hertz, that that means that we're now being bombarded with frequencies, electromagnetic frequencies that are averaging out in low beta, which is defense mechanism. And we wonder why the world is so upset around us and why we are so agitated at everything that's happening. So the recovery is really important. So what's the relationship between homeostasis, stress, allostasis, allostatic load, and dyspanesis? Those are all key words that you need to understand. I'm really going to focus on the first part of it with the, uh, about stress and allostasis because that's a term that we haven't really used. We've talked about homeostasis for a while. What we have to have to deal with this and to be in good health is a thing called neural integrity. That means the nervous system has to be in harmony. It has to be in as a complete whole unit. It has to have good sensory input. It has to have good responses going back out again. And the internal systems have to operate in that, within that integrity system. We're losing this. When you enter with drugs into that system, you start to break down that integrity because the drugs start to overload the system in one direction. So, central organizing authority is the brain. We have to have good input. It goes into from sensory receptors throughout the body, goes into the cord, goes to the thalamus, the amygdala, the hippocampus, the hypothalamus, and to the cerebellum. Cerebellum I call the, the, the silent majority in the brain. It's really, really important, and it plays an absolutely important role, not only in our balance and being able to, to operate in a standing position. Has anybody noticed this? That when you start to feel sick, the first thing you want to do is get off your feet. And if you feel really sick, you have to lie down. And if you get even sicker than that, you can't even get up. Because the cerebellum just cannot function anymore. It cannot handle all of that, that level. And the brain becomes overwhelmed. So we have to look at things like cortical activity in the brain, because in that the cortex of your brain is where your real personality lies. And it's based on some levels of of genetics, but it's also based on your learned experiences to about 80% of who you are that get stored in the cortex as your memories that make you react and respond to whatever situation is going on around you based on your previous experience. It's an area we've never had the opportunity to truly understand and look at before. The people have been doing, especially the psychologists, have been doing biofeedback and neurofeedback for like 70 years. And they kept getting pushed aside saying, well, we don't know, it's unscientific, it's unscientific. There's more research supporting biofeedback and neurofeedback than there is in most other things. 
and yet it still gets pushed off to the side because it doesn't fit into that, that current medical model of drug therapy and symptom treatment. So the cortical activity that we're looking at is your learned experiences built in as hardwiring. That communicates with your limbic system. Your limbic system is controlling your autonomic nervous system and your sympathetic, parasympathetic balance. That's a, a critical issue that drives, we've been looking at sympathetic, parasympathetic balance for years and years and years. Blood pressure. Everybody talks about blood pressure. Everybody talks about heart rate or respiration rate. We need to be looking at it from a, a whole bigger perspective of understanding that it's a wider range. Heart rate variability is about limbic system responses. And we're really hot on that right now, but we have to understand that that's being driven by cortical activity and your hard-term memories that are driving that information all the time. So if we're not looking at the cortical activity, we're really missing out on the main cause of what's going on with this. Well, out of all of this comes motor action. You'll get no, no motor action without sensory input. So you have to then take a look at that, that sensory input and see how that's being processed and integrated in the brain. So ideal neuroplasticity is the ability to adapt and respond and build new pathways built on basically the experiences that you're going through now. We have an opportunity that is a great opportunity. This happened several years ago uh, there was an article that came out and it said, it was in Scientific American, and it gave me the greatest hope that I'd had. When I was at school, they said, I was born with all the brain cells that I was ever going to have. That's it. And all I was going to do from that point on is try to kill them. Well, I've worked pretty hard at doing that. And it was kind of disappointing to know that that was the, the bitter end. It was just going to keep, until I had one neuron left and that was it. I found out something. They published this article that said, you grow new neurons throughout your entire lifetime. And it was just like, really? That's good news for me, and especially at this stage of the game. But only if you give it the opportunity to grow. So if you're just sitting there in front of the television set doing nothing or playing that video game, you're not growing them. It's not working. You need to get out and expand this. You need to teach the brain how to adapt and respond. So you have to have good sensory input, there's a thing called the alert response mechanism. Women are better with this one than men are because we're out there, we're the danger. And so this alert response mechanism is like the deer in the field. Where the deer in the field, there's one deer that stands and all of a sudden it'll pause and look. And it, there's neurophysiological responses that happen with that. Heart rate slows down, respiration slows down, pupils dilate, sense of smell goes up and the animal will then look to see if there's something that they felt was wrong to see if it is. And if it is, they jump into fight, flight, and, and away they go. And if they run fast enough, they're okay. If they don't see anything wrong, what they do is then they recover back to ideal. We aren't doing that anymore. We're never getting a chance to recover anymore. So then we have to look at recovery and what that really means. My point is this, once we understand this, once we are looking at all this incredible information about the nervous system and the brain and what we're doing with it, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. If you just are taking a blind shot at this, you, you're not doing the job that you could be doing. You need to be able to measure it to be able to manage it because once you manage it, you'll know how to improve it. And that's the name of the game, isn't it? Being able to improve it. 
We want to have everybody's nervous system in their brain working at a better level. Okay? Major neurological consideration is this. Patterns develop through repetition. That's how the brain learns. It learns through repetition. We've all done it. We watch the child crawl across the floor, had to learn how to move those arms, watch them get up to walk. It was done through repetition. But the only problem with this is the brain has a, is an impaired ability to regulate itself. It can regulate everything else, but it can't regulate itself and it gets stuck into a pattern. And that's the pattern that we have to then get in and change and start making it build a new pattern. The prefrontal cortex. I love the prefrontal cortex. I am wired on this, this wonderful part of the brain. It's called the conductor of the brain. Now I want you to think about this. If this is the conductor of the brain and your prefrontal cortex isn't working right, like a conductor in an orchestra who all of a sudden isn't following the music and is randomly coming up with a beat or picking what section he wants randomly, you're going to have a cacophony of sounds, right? Not going to be good. But if that orchestra leader is working perfectly, you get beautiful harmonies. You get beautiful groups working together. That's the job of the prefrontal cortex. It's the highest level of cognitive ability. And it talks directly to the cerebellum. They have a direct communication back and forth and they're exchanging information. You know that 50% of the neurons in the brain are in the cerebellum? 50%. We haven't been paying attention to this. And as a chiropractor, I could never figure out what the deal was with creating vertebral subluxations. They exist, but they're created because the brain's not working right and the cerebellum can't get the information right and we get distortions in our posture trying to adapt. It's that simple. Instead of chasing them down and saying they're the cause, we need to be looking at the brain. Okay? Uh, chronic stress alters the structure of the prefrontal cortex, and it doesn't take much. Even the slightest amount of stress can alter the function of the prefrontal cortex and the neurons uh, communication. Self-regulation is dependent on prefrontal cortex control over established cortical patterns. So we can't have good self-regulation. Remember I said the brain gets stuck in a pattern? We can't have that correcting itself if the prefrontal cortex is already stuck and our stress levels are affecting that. How many people in the room have days where you just cannot think? Anybody? Yeah. You get fuzzy days? Guess what? You get fuzzy days because the prefrontal cortex is saying, I can't put it together. I can't do that. Okay. How many people in the room here have had one of these aha moments today? Anybody had an aha moment? Oh, I hope people have had an aha moment. Aha, you know what? That's wonderful timing because it's the prefrontal cortex is generating gamma. And that gamma is when you start to put ideas together and you literally are creating a connection in the neuronal level. And they're just, the neurons, and we've got beautiful pictures of this, when they connect, they actually have a little orgasm. Now that I have everybody's attention, okay, so that's what's going on with all this information and how, when the brain's working right, we can tell what things are happening. Self-regulation failure occurs when the processing resources of the brain, you have a limited amount of, of, of capacity in the brain for processing. It isn't it, never ending like some people want to believe. It has limited resources, become overwhelmed and even minor lapses in self-control can snowball into self-regulation events. 
This is incredible to look at, that we need to study the, the brain with its input. When you are having stress levels that we come out and are reaching out with one level and then another thing happens and then another thing happens and another, and you get to that point where you just go like, I can't take it anymore. Literally what's happening is the brain is now so overloaded that it has no room to process any more stress levels coming in. And you literally start to short circuit the brain. You keep it up and I guarantee you, you will have a nervous breakdown because that's what it's all about. So prefrontal cortex, pyramidal neurons. This is a, an interesting study. Prefrontal cortex, higher cognitive processes, regulation of stress-induced hypothalamic pituitary adrenal HPA activity. That's a primary defense activity. Well, look at this. Stress results in a 16% reduction in apical dendritic spine density. You, you have less of those spines coming off of it and they also shrink by 20%. These are the things in the, your prefrontal cortex, the neurons, that generate our ability to put abstract ideas together and use logic. And stress reduces those things in their size and their density. Pretty important stuff to understand stress. So here's what's going on with the prefrontal cortex. Reality testing and error monitoring is all driven by the prefrontal cortex. Top-down guidance, attention, and thought inhibition of inappropriate actions. You get that? Inhibition of inappropriate actions. If your prefrontal cortex isn't working right, you're gonna act inappropriately. That's what happens when you get drunk. You shut down the prefrontal cortex and you do stupid stuff, like letting your clothes fall off in public. <laughs> Emotional regulation happens from the prefrontal cortex. Wow, you can see what would happen here if that's not working right. Look what happens to this. Loss of prefrontal regulation, compulsive behaviors, and amygdala, amygdala triggers fear responses. So anytime that you start to get feeling like you're overloaded in life and you just can't handle it anymore, and things start to upset you more, you know that already you've got some brain challenges going on that can be reversed. But left alone, I guarantee you, will slowly but surely destroy your life. And that's what's happening because we do not have a lot of this information available to people out there. They know they've got stress. How many people in this room know they have stress? Hands up. Yeah, you know you've got that. Are you ever gonna get rid of stress in your life? Life is handling stress. So it's how you handle it and how your brain can deal with it and how you unload it that's important. So integration, processing resources, brain's appraisal of uh, stressors play a major role in the body's responses. This is a, out of a, a research paper that came out of Holland, and I love this as an example. This is what happens with stress entering into the brain and it's being dealt with perfectly until we're overloaded. And now we have this one coming in, this stressor coming in that says, I need to go and create this specific response. And it goes to the area of the brain it's supposed to go to, but that area is so overloaded it can't handle it. And so now this response ends up going to somewhere else in the brain. It stimulates the brain to respond, but it's the wrong response. So now we have a wrong response. What's that gonna do for the stressors in the system? It's gonna create more stress down line because you've got a wrong response. It's garbage in, garbage out, but garbage comes back in again, and now the brain continues to get overloaded. So the point is this, as you become more stressed, you become more stressed. It's an accelerating curve. Integration, every task is based on sensory input before action. 
Okay, processing resources of sensory input is critical. Critical for the speed and the accuracy of the response. That's pretty important as to how you're going to deal with your life. Processing resource interference, neurological efficiency challenges can be caused by resource pool limited reach. Ladies, how many of you ladies take pride on being multitaskers? Yeah, you all think you're wonderful at it. I got to tell you, you pay a price. It's not a question of whether you can do it or not. It's a question of efficiency and you reach the, the limit very quickly by doing this. Hierarchy of the task. So you're walking down the street and you step off of a curb and you're thinking about what's going on at home and I've got to make sure that bill is paid and you don't pay attention to the bus and the bus gets on the horn and you go, ah, but your reaction time is now so slow that the bus goes over you and you don't have to worry about home anymore. It's very easy. That's what happens in the hierarchy of the task. Cognitive demand and ability. How well are you thinking? If you're already having trouble thinking, and more problems that come in, it's going to be a, a more serious problem. Lack of recovery. So this is long-term stress patterns. Remember I said the brain builds patterns by repetition? If your repetition is that you got bit by a dog as an early child and you see that same dog as an adult, you have that response going on all of your life. And if that dog barks at you, you go right back into the full pattern because that's what was established as, as being dangerous when you were a kid. You need to break those patterns. And then, of course, we have inappropriate responses, which is when that thing comes overloaded and just starts to, to send out any kind of response it can, and the whole system starts to break down. So, homeostasis, balance within. Physiological process where an organism maintains a constant balance and physical, chemic, uh, physical chemical, uh, chemical factors in their internal environment. Homeostasis, we've always talked about this in uh, the health fields, especially the alternative health fields. It's where the systems stay in balance internally. Okay? The goal of homeostasis is to maintain a set point of body function down to the cellular level. We know where the perfect balance is and the body knows where it is, so it tries to generate that. Allostasis. The goal of allostasis is to maintain an optimum point in a changing environment. We live in an environment that doesn't stay the same. So if we had homeostasis that just stayed the same, we'd have to be in an environment that stayed the same. So what happens is, because the world continually changes every second, this world around us, we have to be able to adapt. That's the allostasis. Goal of allostasis is to maintain an optimum point in changing environment. It's much more dynamic and more adaptive than homeostasis. It allows for functional efficiency during variable states. That's the ideal. You know, one, there are two most important words in the, in the English language are survival value. Survival value. How high is your survival value? How well do you adapt to an, an always changing environment? We always talk about this, about influenzas and flus in the spring and in the fall. Why? Because the environment is changing and we're not adapting well. And that's why we're more susceptible at the time. Okay, increases arousal in response to stressors in the HPA axis, hypothalamic, pituitary, medulla. This is words that now you're hearing all over the place. This is part of your defense system. SNN axis, sympathetic adrenal medulla, and the vagus nerve. Your friend, the vagus nerve. The way that you can engage the parasympathetics. 
You don't stimulate a down-regulating system, by the way, you engage it. You don't stimulate the parasympathetics, you engage them. That's what's so critically important that we've lost the ability to do. And that's what we were doing with things like the yoga and the yoga breathing for 5,000 years. I heard that earlier. I mean, this is what was so important about it. They learned that recovery was important. Recovery from the stressor is just as important, I think, more so than its response to it. So, sensory input gathers information and monitors changes or stimulus occurring inside and outside the body, sends it to the primary area, the big computer up here, and it does its integration and it processes and interprets the information and then decides if an action is needed and takes care of that action by creating a motor output. There it goes. And then that feeds back into the sensory system. That's how the system works. That's the, the perfect neuroregulation system. Allostatic load affects brain processing resources. Allostatic load refers to the accumulated cost of the body of allostatic responses. How much change is going on? It's just, it's incredible with watching people in here and when we, especially when we do a test on them and we know that their ability to stay clear thinking is hampered because of their brain function. We can take a look at sensory motor rhythms, 12 to 15 hertz. We can see whether they're able to retain stuff and file it away, or they get muddled very quickly. And there's a lot of people in here that get muddled very quickly because you've had some heavy duty hitting today. And it's really tough. You should be able to close your eyes for 90 seconds and file away information and retain it. And if you're not, you probably have a problem within that brain frequency range of 12 to 15 hertz. There are programs in BrainTap for SMR training. Thank you very much for doing that. Brain ability to appease the situation is impaired. Excessive high energy consumption goes on. That's not good for the, the body. It has to make glucose for the, for the brain to be able to handle it. And we start getting problems then with uh, insulin regulation. Uh, allostatic responses effectively get decreased as the load gets higher. And it triggers psychological and physiological disorders. This is the foundation for all diseases and illnesses. It's not bugs and, and outside stuff, it's inside. It's how the brain is working and how the brain is functioning that drives all the rest of this. And when we start to get problems with allostatic loads, we can have problems with psychological and, and physiological disorders. So here's what it looks like when it starts to go wrong. The information comes in, the integration is not working the way it's supposed to, it feeds out bad information, which feeds it back into the sensory input, and now the whole system starts to run out of balance. And this is what it looks like when your brain is not working right. It's like looking through a, a foggy, wet window. You cannot get focused on, on information, and the system now becomes even more challenged. Stress facts. What is the relationship between stress and the illness to disease? This came out in 1990. Uh, this is an old study, and it said 95% of all diseases and illnesses are caused by stress. The other ones are genetic. And guess what? If you talk to Bruce Lipton, that's just stress at the genetic level. That's all it is. Other 5% are considered to be genetic in nature. This one came out in 2012. Stress, stress wreaks havoc on the mind and body, and until now, it has not been exactly clear of how it influences disease and health. They said until now. So that means now they have a pretty good handle on where this is coming from. Okay. Researchers have found that chronic stress is associated with the loss of regulation of the inflammatory process, which is the foundation for all disease and illness. 
the regulation of the inflammatory process. I don't know how many people I get talking to me about saying, yeah, but what about if you get hit by a car? Well, the question I have is, how well did you heal? Because you should be able to heal from that. You know, you break a bone, you should be able to heal from that. Is that happening or is that not happening? If it's not happening, it's because the neuroregulation that controls that action is now a, a problem. Look at that, it, promates, it, it then promotes the uh, development and progression of disease. Research is clearly established, there is a link between stress and disease. Noise, financial relationship, world events, media coverage, overpopulation, politics, physical issues, nutritional patterns uh, are all contributing to a neurological response to fight, flight, stress, including our, the electromagnetic frequencies we're being subjected to. You know, we're all, we have to live with this. We're not going to get rid of this stuff. So we have to make sure that our body is able to deal with it in the way it was designed to deal with it. And that means clearing away any buildup of stress and making sure that we get good recovery. Body systems remaining in a defensive state without recovery, and this is a term that Dr. Bob Hoffman termed, and I love this, we're in a sympathetic syndrome, and it's getting worse. We're stuck in a sympathetic syndrome. But now I want to take you one step higher and say you need to look at the cortex of the brain, that hardwired pattern that makes you you and how you respond to the events in your life. That's the issue. We need to deal with all of this. Do we just deal with this and forget nutrition? No. You have to do, it has to be a complete picture that you look at, not just one thing. But this is the part that we've missed so badly about looking at the brain. And it wasn't until the decade of the brain in the 1990s that had, gave us the opportunity for a greater understanding. One stressful event can kill brain cells. Ongoing stress can halt the production of new neurons in the hippocampus. And that's important to me. At this stage in my life, I want new neurons. I have got absolute videos of the, the most incredible things, of stem cells in the brain forming up in the hippocampus, because they form up in two areas. They form up in the, uh, the hippocampus and the olfactory area, the two primary areas, because both of those are important for survival. And I have pictures of these stem cells migrating along the glial cells in the brain to get where they know where they need to go. This is a little baby cell, and it says, I need to get over there. And it migrates through the brain on these cells to get to where it needs to go. This is stuff that is just, I get goosebumps when I look at this stuff going like, we don't have a clue how about all this works. But it's amazing that we have an effect on it. And we better be very careful about who we are and what we do. And we better stand up because this group here, this is the future. You're all talking about brain health. So this is why this is so important. Hippocampus is especially vulnerable to ongoing emotional stress because of the damaging effect of cortisol. Stress can disrupt memory, triggering brain threat uh, response. And while cortisol hampers the activity of the hippocampus, it increases the size of the amygdala. So all of a sudden, your area that turns short-term memories into long-term memories starts to shrink. You do not have the ability to build new memories. Does this sound familiar? You have great old time memories that you can remember, but you can't remember what happened yesterday. In the same time, what happens is the amygdala starts to increase because you're putting it into a, a very dangerous situation when you go like, I can't remember what I did yesterday. And the, the brain is going like, I need to remember that. 
Why can't I remember? That's dangerous. And so now you start to get triggered more and more into the fear processing and threat perceptions and the fight-fight response starts to build and build and build and build. That means things like heart rates will go up, respiration rates will go up, heart rate variability will get worse, blood pressure will go up, systems will start to fail. Okay? Fight-flight response can render individuals suffering from chronic stress, highly vulnerable to infection. The hippocampus region of the brain where the memories are processed and stored become overwhelmed by cortisol and actually cause atrophy. The good news is you can reverse it. You can reverse it. So even people with early stages of Alzheimer's, we can do things for them. We can get them out of that state that's creating this. They keep looking for other problems like aluminum or so. It's not that. It's what's happened to that brain to build it to this state to begin with. This is just all basic, nice, wonderful neurophysiology that's come out and the research is going on. You should be looking it up on the internet. Look up everything you possibly can on, on the brain and what's new. Because it's coming at me faster than I can, I can read it. It's just incredible the research is going on out there right now. And thank you, gentlemen. You two are doing great work with this. Okay. Uh, sleep deprivation, caffeine, alcohol, all increased cortisol. Acute sleep loss confuses the HPA access. So how many people have a sleep problem? How many people in the room don't sleep well? Yeah, guess what? You're already in trouble. So that's why when you're using the brain tap, you're going to start to enjoy some sleep because guess what it's going to do? It's going to start to create some beautiful theta waves that are going to get you to start to relax for a change and turn off the, the alert system. And that's why this thing was so effective. And when we did this testing together, it was just, it was absolutely amazing to watch. We not only did, had my dear wife doing this and we watched this thing go through this, we've also tested every time he comes up with a new one, we end up testing it live time and you can see, watch it live time and, and you can watch the beta shutting down and the thetas and alphas gaining. You can see it going on, you can just see it, it's amazing. We had one fellow who had been out partying all night in Las Vegas and he said, I'm exhausted. He said, I didn't go to sleep last night, so I'm going to lie down in that bed. I'm going to put these things, this on in my head, and I'm going to go to sleep, man. I'm going to have a great one. I said, well, you're not going to have it to begin with because it doesn't start with theta. It's going to start with you being in beta and working you down a bit. No, I'm going to sleep. He lay down on the bed. He put the things on, and he went to sleep, and immediately he opened his eyes and said, ah, oh, damn. And it woke him right back up again because it wasn't set for that point. This thing is powerful. The brain tap is very, very powerful. It does what it says it's going to do. And that's where we really got to, to know one another at that point. This was amazing. This came out in 19, uh, uh, so I think 2003. This is a neuron. You see all the, the axons got little bumps all over them? Here's how the brain learns. It takes information, now synapses form new memories, spine-like projections sprouted from axons and withered in less than a day and some lasted for months. So those little bumps you see, I don't know if you can see this, there's little bumps sticking out all over the place. You can see them down below. They never saw this before. They never, nobody ever saw it. So what's this? And it said, if the synapse is a useful one, it will stay. If not, it will retract. That's a, that's a brain cell saying, I like this information, I'm gonna store it on an axon. If it gets repeated, it goes back and says, oh, I've seen this before, and it stores it again. Well, I've seen this before, and it stores it again, and it starts to grow a dendrite that goes and, attack, and, and attaches to another neuron. This is how we learn through repetition. And the brain cells are smart enough to know the difference between what's good and what's not good.